Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 539. Got a slightly larger panel this week, a powerful panel. We've got a special guest back and a friend of the show, a powerhouse of marketing. A legend. We got Brian Jackson with us. Uh, Brian, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to be be back here. Um, so right now, I'm the uh, co-founder of Forge Media, and we develop a couple WordPress plugins. One is a social media plugin. Another one is Perf Matters, which is a performance plugin. What's it like being a legend of? of um, online content then, Brian? I, as we said earlier, I, I don't like those terms. Um, I, I think it's just a lot of time and hard work. I think uh, if anyone works hard enough at something, I, in my opinion, I think you can achieve almost anything. All right. So, it hasn't worked for me. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't think I'm seen as a legend of podcasting, am I? But there we go. Um, Steve... Steve, uh, you've would you persisted like to... better than a lot of people, though. I am persistent, like a virus, really. You know? um, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Stephen Souter from Zipfish.io. All right, thanks. And my old friend John, John, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, John from LockdownSEO.com. And my old long-term friend Sally, Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. I'm Sally Getch, the WP fangirl. And my friend Spencer Forum, who's, oh, he might not be able to introduce himself, he's munching. <laughs> I like to combine things, not to be rude, usually I have the meat, but this is Spencer <laughs> from eating, eating Breakfast While We Have the Show, launchflows.com. Oh, well, I, I, I lit you off. I understand it is a bit early. Um, before we go into the main it's story. It's not as early in Chicago as it is here. That's um, true. It's no, almost so- lunchtime. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I, something about the show makes me hungry. I'm oh, well, sure that's that. well, there we go. Could be worse. You could feel like you want to vomit. Uh, um, so uh, before we go into the main stories, um, articles, I want to talk about one of our great sponsors, and that's Kinster. Kinster is a specialised WordPress hosting provider. It's a premier provider. If you're looking for speed, reliability, great support, is a great place to go, not only for yourself, but for your clients. If you've got a WooCommerce website, a learning management system, you probably need something that's got a bit more oomph. Um, that's what you get with Kinster. Blindingly fast, well-established, good value. So go over there for yourself or for your clients. I suggest you buy one of their packages. If you do, do the show a favour and can you mention that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show? So, <clears throat> on to the first story. The future um, starter content WordPress themes need a modern onboarding importing tool. This is on the Tavern. Um, what did you think of this one, Brian? Yeah, I kind of had mixed feelings on that because personally, I don't really use the importers that much. Um, and I did, however, the other day use the new Generate Press 3 importer on a dev yes, site. Yes, I noticed I was, you were sitting there prizes. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my, I don't mind saying I love that theme. Uh, and Tom is doing a great job on that theme. Um, 
But I was, I threw the new one on the dev site and I used the import of that time just to, I was curious at some of the site library um, themes they had already and I was poking around and it kind of put me into their own onboarding UI and it was fairly nice. But then, yeah, reading this article, um, it got, you know, everyone thinking into should adopt the same onboarding procedures. Um, I think we discussed this on a previous show when I was on here was I do 100% agree that WordPress needs better onboarding. Because um, if you compare it to Wix or Shopify or anybody, like their onboarding is way better than WordPress. So I think themes <coughs> should be a part of that. I just don't know at this point that's going to take a lot of work because I think every theme shop has their own thing, like it said, going and they have for years. So I think it'd be very hard to adopt it at this point. So what do you think, Sally? I'm not sure that there are enough people available to attempt to create a sort of unified experience. I think what they might be best off doing is, you know, taking a look at some of the practices that that these different companies have evolved and, you know, all the new Genesis child themes, which are block-based, have a basically, do you want to import our starter content and and there may be a couple of options like the one with the colors the one with the black and white and and it imports all the blocks and and so on with the you know with the layout um for the page that looks like the you know looks like the um demo um and uh clearly you know you have lots of uh you know options with Astra and so on and and that yeah if they take a look at this and say hey you know we we like the way this setup works for importing content and especially if you know it's a setup for importing you know gutenberg demo content because that's what they're going to you know that's what they're going to want to use for for wordpress core uh and then you know fork that and and adopt it as you know, here is the, you know, here, here is the practice to use for this. Then there would be something consistent for people who were, you know, installing themes to get them to look like the demo, which has always been an issue uh, with themes that had any kind of a layout other than a one-column blog. Yep. What do you reckon, Spencer? Okay, a couple of things. Um, first of all. The Astro Starter themes, really, really useful, except as you and I discovered, you can sort of step into the mud because of the second problem. And that is that right now we still have a mixture of components trying to be layered like some kind of fancy birthday cake into a cohesive system, and it's not working. It turns out that Astro Starter themes actually mixes the use of the customizer along with, ironically, Elementor templates in order to achieve its outcome. And if you don't know that in advance, like you yourself personally experienced, Jonathan, it's a shocking surprise to realize, for example, these weird blocks of content show up on random pages as the footer. And you're like, where the hell is that coming from? And it's because you used an Astra starter site theme for Astra that pulls in Elementor via the customizer to make an output. So now I've got six different chefs or something, bakers making a cake. So number one, we need to unify the layers. And what I tell people very simply is this. Unless you're using Buddy Boss, at a theme level, just use Astra Free, full stop. Or you could use uh, Elementor's Hello. I'm not really favorable with the controls, but just use like zero layer theme. That way, you know all of the stuff you're doing is at the 
page builder level. We've already talked about that over in Envato or wherever else, there's a million awesome fully baked, you know, templates for Elementor that give you everything you need. Second thing is the battle of wills. Here we've got a scenario where all the various page builders and all the various theme writers and all the various people are all competing for what exactly is a starter thing. Whereas Wix or Weebly or Squarespace or Shopify or, or Cartflow, uh, ClickFunnels and so forth, all the platforms, Kajabi, they're like, hey, we got one set of templates for our one system. Until you sort that shit out, this entire conversation is elementor, uh, elementary. <laughs> I think that you pick your very favorite page builder right now. If it's elementor, great. If it's something else, fine. Go with the metaphor yourself. And I do agree that having like starter stuff is easy because I'm experiencing that even right now with, you know, the WP Fusion and launch flows and WooCommerce, the stack of stuff. We've got all the complexity and options in the world. But you know what everybody keeps saying? They're like, do you have that like push one button and it's ready to use option? Because even if I'm doing it myself, I, I don't want to learn all that stuff. So I absolutely agree with the premise of Justin's article. Plus, I want to say, I'm very happy Justin wrote an article that actually talks about something other than just promoting somebody else's, you know, sort of stuff. This is like one of the throwback Justin articles where he would talk about like an actual WordPress, what we could do about it kind of thing. So I appreciate that. I have to try and get him, try and um, persuade him to come on the show. Uh, I, I will attempt that. John, so what do you think, John? Yeah, this has been the problem that WordPress has always had. Um, there is no unified experience in whatever mixture of plugins and themes that you have set up. Um, that's WordPress to whoever is using it. Now, that's the, and that's the reason why in the past, like people would just buy themes out of theme for us because most of them have the same things bundled. They all have, uh, used to be visual composer and, you know, revolution slider and stuff. Yes. 28 sliders, 28 sliders and stuff like that. Different. <laughs> but, but it's the reason why like people, they get used to like building in one system and they just stick with that because, you know, now you, it, there's different page builders and stuff like that. And people choose like whatever page builder is, is best, but now you're introducing, you know, the block editor and all that, and you, you're still phasing out themes for a few years. So there's all these different things, but yeah, people just want to build a site and make it look like the demo. And these other platforms like Shopify and, you know, Wix or, or whatever it is, they basically, you know, walk you through how to do it and it never changes. It's, you're only learning like one system. And that's always been the problem with WordPress is it's accessible at least for like a lot of people to be able to build something quickly, but it's many uh, different experiences. So yeah, starter content would be good, but again, it's, it's going to be different with every different theme. So same problem. Right. Stephen, what do you think? Um, I feel like this whole conversation about starter content importing stuff is something that like, it kind of the article talks about it. it would have been good back in the day, but now we're kind of past that. Everybody's kind of built their own solution. And especially like with Gutenberg and block patterns coming out and these, mm. it kind of talks about this in the article too, just like these page builders or type systems that are out there, whether it's Gutenberg or Elementor have like these kind of templates that you can drop into a page that automatically imports all the content and makes it look exactly like you want it. Um, 
it would have been nice to have something like that early on, but I think people have kind of moved past that. And if we go back and try to adopt something that's old, it just feels kind of counterintuitive. Like we need to keep pushing Gutenberg forward, keep pushing page builders forward. Well, it it, it depends on how you, it depends on how you do it. So that, you know, in a way saying, hey, we've got all these, you know, block patterns combined into page layouts is a different sort of, you know, here's your starter content, uh, set it up thing. Uh, I think the one thing about starter content is that if it gives you, you know, the combination of the matching arrangements for like a home page and a services page and a whatever page uh, eh, 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 to arrange, then, you know, it can be uh, helpful if you you know, want that done quickly. If you're not one of those people who wants to make every single page, you know, styled uh, a, a different way uh, and, you know, tweak it all within an inch of its life. But what you're trying to do is just like, I want a place to put my uh, information about my services and my contact information and other stuff. And I want it quickly because I'm, you know, in the middle of trying to pivot my business in the pandemic. Yeah, I'll go to you. Right, on to story two, social media censoring, Hunter Biden article. Now, this uh, I've got a link to a video by Jimmy Bull. Um, he's a great commentator. And the reason I just want to give the audience a bit of quick background information about this subject that hopefully we're going to have a, a reasonable discussion about. Um, basically, the Washington Post um, um, had an article you know, like I say, it's from the Washington Post. It's the New York Post. It's oh, the New York Post. New, Post. No, New, New York Post. It's an important thing. distinction. Uh, yeah, a very New, important distinction. Oh, New York Post, right. I apologise. New York Post. And um, um, and it's about uh, Biden's son. And there's, there's been a number of um, commentaries about um, him being corrupt and also his father. His, um, father being corrupt. Um, but that's not my interest in why I posted it, because this is about technology and about the web in general. But um, what happened was that Facebook and Twitter decided that they were going to ban this article. And I personally think it's a bit like um, it's a, like a bridge too far myself. Um uh, or um, crossing the Rubicon, as we would say. I, I think um, they've crossed into... They wanted it both ways, and now they're, they're, they're going to get payback because um, they're private companies and they can do what they like. But um, when they censor things that come from national news sources, um, I don't know. What do you reckon, Spencer? Do you think... This is a step step over the Rubicon. I mean, I'm not going to address the particular topic, but as far as like the Hunter Biden article versus the 100 trillion other political back and forth things, um, without saying political preference, which should be probably obvious if you listen to the show, my feeling is that we need to restore a sense of normalcy to both the media and to politics. Now, I've been a student of history, and when you look back, I mean, as long as TV has existed, even in the first televised presidential debates with Nixon and Kennedy and stuff, I mean, this stuff was going on. It just had not reached the point where the general population was aware of this 24-7 
every moment of the day. You know, you had three news stations and you had maybe two times of the day you had news and you had a newspaper. And so it wasn't like every moment of every day, everywhere you go, some other perpetuated lie or something was happening. Where it's being really compounded is because social media allows any troll, again, as we said, without using their real name, to just start a blatant rumor. So Walter Cronkite or Morley Safer or one of the old school, you know, original people could be trusted on TV to a certain extent, even if it was bullshit, could be trusted by most Americans as a credible source. And we all bought the lie together or we didn't. Now it's like people at grocery stores going at each other's throats over the latest bullshit rumor. And we're in a froth. And who wins? The people who win are the people at the top who manipulate society and always have been. And I think that's the kind of lesson I'm taking from all of this is that the conversation should be about whether anybody should post anything to social media if they're not a verified source. And if they are a verified source, perhaps the rules should be equally applied. There has to be a standard that is equally applicable. Right now we're in the midst of some kind of convulsion where you know we're all reacting or the social media companies are reacting Clearly not in an objective way. So what do you reckon, Brian? Um, I think um, both Twitter and Facebook are are really pushing themselves into a tight corner here. You know, I think Twitter, they should accept that all their accounts should be verified. And Facebook, I think they've got the right to put a tutorial saying, you know, you should take this piece with a pinch of salt. But... I don't think these companies have got the right to ban articles from national news resources. What do you reckon, Brian? Yeah, it's it's a <clears throat> it's a tough one because, like you said earlier, they are still private companies, even though we might think of them as <laughs> controlling the internet. Well, that's the other thing they they um, dominate modern news. They do um, to such a level where do you think they can exist still as a that element can still exist as a private company. And I think that's part of the problem is because where do you, you have to draw the line at some point, I guess. Um, You can't just have them cherry picking articles. They think someone on the Facebook end thinks is this one's, you know, should be verified. This one shouldn't be. Um, I think what Spencer was saying is maybe partially the way to go is to have these verified accounts. And like, once they post something like you can't take it down. I mean, to some extent, like it's... Um, well, you can be verified as who you really are and still say something that isn't I, true. Uh, it's uh, true. And, and uh, you know, what, what Twitter in, uh, said was basically, well, we have this policy of not uh, supporting material that comes from, you know, hacks, hacked sources, that this was, this was obtained by hacking and that's why we're not publishing. Well, isn't now, that, that, ju- could be, isn't that, that could journalism? Be, that could be total BS. Or it could be that, yes, they really have this policy, but it's not always applied the same way because, let's face it, every rule that ever exists gets applied selectively based on who's, who is applying it. Um, but that, you know, that, that is what they said. And, you know, I can't remember who was posting what about, you know, like WikiLeaks um, uh, back when because I have a mind like a steel sieve uh, and of course, it could be a policy that uh, you know came into uh, it came into play before that. Uh, but I'm, you know, I think we have reached that point in the froth where anything they do 
is going to get blowback in terms of trying to uh, uh, trying to to moderate or, or censor content. And if they don't do anything, they're going to get blowback because they've already gotten a lot of that. Well, I can understand if you're dealing with organisation or you're dealing with content that promotes violence, that says, you know, that um, let's say you have an organisation that has a Facebook page or group and you find out that it's promoting actual violence against minorities or other sectors of society, uh, grievous violence and using violent language, obviously they've got to go. Um, but when it's article ab- about, and you might not agree with the actual political elements of the article, but it's not promoting violence, I don't think it's really um, right on the right or the left or wherever. I don't really think it's the responsibility of Facebook or Twitter to censor it, really. But I'm sure John, my great friend John's going to have a different attitude. What's your attitude, John? Yeah, I I understand. Okay, so I really thought about this. I seen this story last night, and I'm going to preface this by saying... The, and I know a lot of people feel this way. They feel like it's censorship and they feel like one side or the other gets censored. But some facts. The top 10 most shared stories on Facebook pretty much every day for the last five years have all been leaning toward the right. They're not left-leaning, they're right-leaning. A lot of people will say that Twitter and Facebook are left-leaning platforms, but they bend over backwards to not censor or not enforce the rules on select people. YouTube as well. YouTube's recommendation algorithm uh, a lot of times suggests stuff that's inflammatory. Usually, you know, if you're, if you're a guy, you've probably seen right-wing stuff uh, appear out of nowhere, like in your recommendations. Twitter is bent over backwards to make sure that one individual on their platform that has consistently broken their terms of service has had a microphone. Um, But when it comes to censoring or so-called censoring, it's their platforms. They're private platforms. They're not public utilities. They're private companies. They're private corporations. And they can do whatever they want. And If you want to share something, I mean, there's plenty of other platforms where you can do that. Um, But the reason why they're doing it is if you look at really closely at what this is, it's already been a debunked story. It's disinfo. Um, Giuliani was used because he's a useful idiot. Um, Like I said, it's already been debunked. And this is a repeat of the 2016 gimmick except this time it's but his emails. And the timing of this is just to, you know, convert people to voting a certain way. But anybody that is this close to the election, there's very few undecided people, like actually really, truly undecided people. There's probably a few, but this isn't going to sway people. And I know a lot of... Yeah, um, I was. That wasn't really the reason why I. Yeah, it was really the social media and their decision 
to ban it's their it. platforms. Right, so your position, it's their platforms and they can, they do, can do what they so want. So, Stephen, you know, say 80% of people, their main um, news resource is either Facebook or Twitter in America nowadays. I, th- I think that's the correct figure. Um, how, you know, how is this going to be dealt with? Because, like, you know, um, John's position is that... I'm really curious that, about where that statistic comes from. It's like, did you survey 80% of people on Facebook? It's actually oh, in um, Doyle's actually um, video. He, he comes out with that. Uh, um, but So it might be absolute nonsense. Yeah, uh, I, I'll have to look it up in my copious spare time. Yes, you do that. Uh, um, Steve, that's, sc- that's scary if that's a true statistic. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? Uh, um, but what do you reckon, Stephen? I'm not overly concerned about it. I mean, people get really bent out of shape about like, oh, Twitter, Facebook, they have an agenda. Um, But sure, they're a private company. Of course, they have an agenda. They want to make more money. And you know what makes people go crazy and publicizes a story more than if you can post it on Twitter? It's if you can't post it on Twitter. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, getting your post taken down only benefits you. And it's like a badge of honor or <laughs> like society just holds up the people that are being censored almost. And so, well, yeah, just, what was, what was that thing about like, you know, uh, the, the uh, newspaper or whatever that was like, you know, Trump, uh, Trump bashed us and everybody, uh, yeah. you know, made I don't them more feel popular. bad for anybody that gets anything taken down because you're only going to do better because of it. And honestly, I would not be surprised if, you know, people who were posting this were secretly hoping Facebook was going to take it down. Like that was their, that was the plan. That was, that was, if somebody had not thought of that, like they should have, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure this was a discussed point. Like it's, so yeah, I don't feel bad for anybody that gets stuff taken down. If, if it's like truly like a minority that has something that they want to say, and then it gets buried and what like that, that's a little bit more bigger of a deal but if it's something that blows up and the only reason why yeah. I actually don't get me don't morning, get me wrong I, I, you know I'm not saying that Biden's son took money or didn't uh, you know I haven't investigated enough to make a conclusion about it um the only but what, what I'm arguing is- about is is that if somebody isn't um peddling actual violence and physical violence and using physical violent language because they say something that you don't particularly like or agree with or you think they're douchebags or the worst kind in the history of humanity still doesn't mean you've got the right to ban them does it steve I, I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, if somebody is being a douchebag, I'm going to ban them from my platform. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like a grocery store. We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. Yeah, that's true. That's America, that's America bud. All right. We're going to go for a break. We'll call you back. I've got some better stories. And, and also, I mean, frankly, it was already in the New York Post. It's not like the person who published it had no platform available besides Twitter. <laughs> True. Uh, um, good point. Um, we will be back in a few moments, folks. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. 
Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. Coming back, we dived a little bit in the sewer of American politics. I'm trying to wash myself down now with the hose. Give me two uh, showers um, in one day. Yeah, there we go. Uh, um, but before we go on to our next stories, I want to mention one of our great sponsors, and that's Groundhog. Groundhog is a native CRM platform. Um, basically, it does everything that Active Campaign does, Drip, but it's highly more integrated into the WordPress ecosystem. <laughs> if that really sounds something that would be useful for yourself, and I would have thought so, or for your clients, go over to Groundhog and see what they have to offer, their packages, they're great value compared to some of the SaaS hosted providers. I suggest that you should buy one. And if you do, tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic podcast. On to the next stories. Um, what you should do for WordPress Black Friday 2020. What do you, oh, he's grinning. Uh, what do you reckon, Spencer, you're mooted for? Yeah, no, this one, this was a really good article. I, I think that the um, best part about the article was factual data combined with real-world examples combined with actionable steps. Very, unfortunately, very rare to find these good articles, but I actually enjoyed this. And again, not to be uh But you need the dedication... But the graphic, skill of Brian Jackson to do something well, like that. Well, yeah. Brian's articles, again, are similar, but there's certain ones that we look at from other well-known personalities that the graphics don't really help. Here, the graphics really help, in particular when you look at, like, the graph that shows the buildup, the craze, the last call. It really makes a lot of sense. So I, I think this is probably one of the best how-to articles for anybody who wants to take advantage of Black Friday, which... You can argue Black Friday is an insane process in America, but it exists. So if you're going to participate in it and you want to sell something, this is a, a good how-to for sure for anybody. Oh, Brian, what did you think of the article? Did you know what's your you know you you run your own plugin business in the WordPress ecosystem with your brother? How how do you view as a as a vendor of plugins um, Black Friday, and how do you prepare for it? Um, first off, I also agree with Spencer. This was the best article that I actually read the whole thing. Um, but I actually subscribe to Alex's newsletter because it's one of the few that I actually read every week. Um, but, uh, so I have two opinions on this. It's funny because they quoted Tom from Kinsta in there. And I was involved with those conversations with Tom about, you know, we didn't do Black Friday at Kinsta. Um, so I think it, it sometimes matters what kind of a brand you have and what kind of products you have. because. At Kinsta, we were, uh, you know, the brand is a higher premium hosting plan. And um, we didn't want to be viewed with all of the other, you know, Black Friday hosting deals going on. We, we didn't want to be paired with those other brands. Um, and so that's one reason we didn't do that stuff at Kinsta. Um, also, we had hosting providers have other expenses that people just always seem to forget about <laughs> um, that are ongoing. So that's another thing. Um, and I can say while at Kinsa, we'd have, you know, people going to the other hosts for Black Friday sales, we would just continue sailing right on through just like normal. And that was fine for us. Um, 
And the other hand though, with our plugins, I can tell you 100% we're gonna be doing Black Friday sales. <laughs> um, so I, I have seen the advantage of doing both sides of it. Um, I don't view my brand as something that's you know hugely premium. I'm here to develop a quality plugin that I use, I use with all my clients and that <laughs> other people use. And I want to sell more plugins. I'm not going to admit I'm not, I don't want to. So, um, and Black Friday sales, I've done them in the past years on our plugins. They work. It's the biggest like two weeks of the whole year for sales. Um, it's kind of unfortunate too, because then people, you have an anticipation of people waiting for sales and they actually don't buy things in like um, the previous months. And you have that buildup chart there, like is kind of, references on this a little bit, but um, people will then start hounding you saying, are you going to have a Black Friday sale? And they'll stop purchasing things. So I hate that part of the effect, but I still think depends on what product you have and what kind of brand you want to be, I think is is what I would say. Yeah. Okay, you should take part. Great points. What do you reckon, Stephen? Really appreciate the charts and the whole buildup idea. I mean, I feel like I had never really sat down and thought through Black Friday, but like when I saw those charts, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's me. I'm I'm right on that 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 bell curve." Um, I usually start every year by making a list of like these are the products I'm going to buy on Black Friday because like I kind of want them, but like not enough to pay full price. And then by the time Black Friday rolls around, I've already purchased the products, and so I actually don't get any Black Friday deals. Um, but the strategy behind Black Friday is super interesting, especially in an e-commerce world where people can uh, price shop so efficiently and so fast. I remember back in the day when me and my high school friends would like get the newspaper, go through Best Buy ads, get there, you know, 10 hours before open and waiting in line and stuff. But I think that buildup and that anticipation is far more important when you have the ability to look at 15 different plugins that do kind of the same thing, which one has the best, um, option. You need to like make that make it so people don't do that as much as possible. And by building up that anticipation, getting people excited about your product and your sale helps people from exploring all the different various options and stuff. And so I thought that was just like a really good thought is that build up probably is the key to all of that Black Friday success or how successful you can be. Yeah. What do you reckon, John? I yeah like like Steve I appreciated the um, laying out the diagram of the build up the craze and then the final call and it's something that anybody who's selling any type of product needs to consider. Um, Bridget Willard has actually uh, talked about this very recently. Planning for Black Friday uh, sales if you're you know doing a plugin or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, figuring out how you're going to like make this marketing push, like an email marketing, social media marketing, and, and figuring out like which segments you're uh, trying to appeal to uh, with your discount. I think that's, that's really important. Good to see Chris Badgett um, quoted in this article as well. Yeah. And Sally, got any thoughts about this? Well, I mean, what everybody said about, uh, you know, I, I read Alex Nenning's newsletter also. It, it is uh, generally, you know, a good, thoughtful analysis of, of stuff. Uh, I don't sell products, and so it's not been an issue. And I've always thought it was <clears throat> fairly insane for people to, you know, line up outside stores and, and trample each other trying to get bargains. Um, 
I do think, you know, you could take this strategy and apply it to any type of a sale or a product launch that you wanted to do. It wouldn't have to be on on Black Friday. But yeah, um, you know, as as Brian has pointed out and as Alex has pointed out in this article, you know, first of all, is your product even the sort of thing that that you should discount on on Black Friday or are you doing something else? And, you know, one way that it can work out for the plugin developers is, well, they buy it the first year at the hella crazy discount. Uh, but the next year it's renewing at the, at the, you know, regular renewal price, which, which may, you know, depending on the product be a little lower than the regular, you know, the first time buy price, or, you know, it's just, that's the renewal price and, and there you are. Uh, so that, you know, over time, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're going to have a, a lifetime value as a customer that's not too bad. However, you know, at the same time, you're more likely to get the people who, did not need or want your product so badly uh, that that they had to buy it, you know, at full price uh, before the sale. Uh, and yeah. if you if you don't need it badly enough to get it at full price, you might not really need it at all. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, great insights. On to the next story, then. Um, the this is a mega story um, from CS Tricks. It's a mega post. So. Um, but widening responsibility for front-end developers. What did you think of this one, John? It's a bit of a this one. It's a mega article, yeah. isn't it? It's it's a big article, but yeah, definitely front-end development has come to mean so much more than it did uh, ten ten years ago. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that you're expected to know if if you use that term like front-end development. because it's progressed just in the time that I've um, been building websites from meaning something like HTML, CSS, um, responsive design, uh, accessibility, and uh, JavaScript. It's come to mean mostly like you're, you know, depending on who's using that term, but mostly it's like you're expected to be fluent in all these uh, different varieties of JavaScript yeah. uh, for a lot of, um, you know, jobs where you're hired out. And, uh, but really it's, it's, some of these are, are, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like you're expected to, 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 to um, know like much, much more than it, than it was. And yeah. And just, uh I, I feel Chris Coyer's pain. I mean, it's um, knowing all these different varieties of JavaScript is something that that is um, I know a little bit, but it's 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 not something that that I'm probably ever going to dive deep into because it's like other things I've chosen to dive deep into. Yeah, because it's you know really um, if you're going to do that, you're probably going to have to really get a job. You know, it's right. really focused for somebody that is only going to do that and they're right. probably going to have to either work for our agency or work for a medium to large um, company that has a very sophisticated website, application-based website, and you're going to be working in-house, aren't you, John? Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't give you a lot of time to like do much else besides be a developer. And, and like I said, it's that's where I really, you know, had a fork in the road and it's like, um, I decided to, you know, be more of a a generalist in like 
all these different aspects instead of focusing just on, you know, knowing JavaScript and, and some of the other front end stuff. So, so what do you reckon about this one, Spencer? It was a mega article. You probably only, you know, quickly read. Well, read if, if you want a TLDR, it just go to almost the bottom where he puts the summary of like yeah. with the little icons, button icon card. So Chris's point, which John reiterated here, is that essentially the lines have been blurred between somebody who's a front-end WordPress or other website person and the back-end stuff because the feature creeps now embedded themselves in the thing. Here's my metaphor. I like to cook with my kids. Certain things you want to make from scratch, but certain things like, for example, pasta. We could make pasta as part of a meal from scratch which would add six more hours into the whole process of making a meal because mixing it up from flour and salt and water and waiting for it to dry and rolling it out. Or we could focus on the end result of the dinner and just use pre-made pasta. In the same way, websites now have all these components. And if you really look at it like, what's my job or what am I doing here? Most people will have to, if they're rational, come to a conclusion of just take already made components and snap them together. And you could go into intricate details about this, even when it comes to design, right? Like, why not just get pre-made templates and change out my images and my words for what's there? But if you are a person who has a career or making money, I look at this as an opportunity that he's saying that it's not as simple anymore as just saying working in the lamp stack and I make websites and that's all I have to know. Because somebody at some place wants to use those cool components that creeped up that I can't interact with <laughs> unless I know what the hell they're made from and so forth. So takeaway, if you make a living, work your way backward from the end result of who you're working for. I have a client who wants a pretty website. Okay, start with the pre-baked WordPress and choose your page builder, work backwards. If at a certain point they need you to do stuff that's above your pay grade, Decide how much money is involved in you learning how to do that and inch your way backwards. Now, there's an infinite point of like how many things you can learn and a ridiculousness to it. Because, for example, I know a lot of programming languages by now. I'm not going to touch Node.js. I'm just not. And I don't care about Grunt or any of the other, you know, blah, blah, blah little things. But what I do know is knowing jQuery, JavaScript, HTML, PHP, basic server stuff, that gets you a long way deep into the pockets of paying customers. And so that's... Yeah, well, the he's, he's got a nice pull quote here, which says, you know, we, we've already reached the point where most front-end developers don't know the whole haystack of responsibilities that get ascribed to a front-end development job. There are lots of developers still doing well for themselves, being rather design-focused and excelling at creative and well-implemented HTML and CSS, even as job posts looking for that dwindle. Well... I'm sure we've had discussions about the it's ridiculousness always, of job posts. Yeah, I think you made a good, um, well, he makes a good point and you've just emphasized it, Sally. But um, I was on a call um, on, a, on a Zoom where there were mostly UX designers and because um, I've always had the interest and in, I was looking for a good UX designer. So um, I got onto this call and there must have been about 60 um, people and they were talking about um, when they went for jobs, um, they were expected to be really good at CSS or really good at um, laying out their designs 
as a web, you know, as a as a prototype, and there was some were saying they didn't really want to do that. They just want, you know, they're just design folk. So this blurring of responsibilities has always been there to some extent. Well, well you know, some of it is the people who write job descriptions almost never know anything about the job and, and what you're really going to do and what it's going to involve. And, and you have those ridiculous sort of tech job descriptions where they ask you for, you know, 10 years of experience in something that was created two years ago uh, because they, they just really are, they're clueless. And then there's the part where companies always want you to be able to take on more responsibilities than you actually should because uh, they're cheap. And if they can get one person to do three people's jobs, they will. Because uh, I have seen also a lot of job descriptions where it's like, yeah, that job description, that's like three people at least, maybe five, uh, with everything they've loaded on it. And, uh, you know, we can know about uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, information, uh, you know, we can know a little bit about UX and a little bit about accessibility and a little bit about a lot of stuff. We cannot know really in depth everything. Nobody can. So there, part of it is, you know, you have to figure out that point of, um, you know, which things am I going to learn how to do and which things am I going to find somebody that already knows how to do them and subcontract them to do the, do it for me? Uh <laughs> And uh, that, you know, they, they had a whole series on um, the Shop Talk show about what is a front-end developer. And they interviewed a lot of people who have been in web dev for a long time and are well-known uh, and uh, kind of talked to them about what that meant to them. They would show them a web page and say, you know, what is it that first strikes you about this? And it was, you know, it, it would kind of depend on, you know, the focus of that person, what the first thing they looked at was in, in the page and breaking it down and, and uh, arranging it and what they commented on. And it's, yeah, it's a flexible kind of thing. You're going to have to dig into, you know, well, what does, you know, what am I really trying to accomplish? And what is the best tool for it? And is that tool one that, that I know? Uh, and you're also going to have to just accept that in any tech field, you are never going to know all of it and you are never going to be caught up. Yeah. So what do you reckon, Stephen? I thought the article was <laughs> kind of exhausting to read. Just it, was, like it feels it exhausting was. to be a front-end developer in today's day and age. Um, yeah, you made some great points in this show. You did be so, on the top form, Steve. So about uh, oh, five years ago, I was a a hater of WordPress. I usually don't tell people that, but like uh, I, I, I was a React guy and I love programming in React. Um, but the JavaScript world, like he's talking about, just got insanely complex. And all of these different modules or frameworks or add-on things and knowing like the glue that holds it all together became harder and harder and harder. And like the longstanding joke is that it takes longer to configure your build scripts than it does to actually build the website. Um, and it's getting better. But something interesting that I saw from moving into the WordPress world is in some ways, WordPress's approach to programming is far more sophisticated than what we're seeing in like cutting edge JavaScript world. And by that, I mean, 
the WordPress world, because it's been around for so long, has neatly broken people up into different categories, right? You have your theme developers, you have your plugin developers, you have your WordPress experts, you have your hosting guys that build things specifically for WordPress. And so you have these people that are experts in their little individual niches. And we figured out an ecosystem that allows everybody to plug in and mostly play nicely with each other. You're starting to see that with the front-end developer world in JavaScript with like Tailwind and uh, React stuff um, and all, all these other, it's been a while since I've been in it. So I don't know the latest and greatest you know, tools and frameworks out there anymore. But um, you're, starting, you're, you're starting to see that where people are dividing and conquering things better and better and better. And that organization around JavaScript and front-end development is becoming more and more sophisticated where it is possible to kind of stay on top of your little area because you can utilize and rely on other people. But I think it's just kind of cool when we often talk about WordPress being a archaic or kind of an old sort of system, but there's some sophistication in that that gives way to some of the beauty and amazingness that even I think in some ways makes WordPress leaps ahead of where other people are in like the development ecosystem from just a very get work done and produce revenue at the end of the day. Right. So it's a bit out of your field, Brian, but you got any thoughts about this article apart from its warm piece? <laughs> I'm, yeah, it's... <laughs> my one theory is, uh, so like right now with our plugins... It's not good one of your articles, Brian. <laughs> okay. Some of it was very big text and illustration. It was. No, it was, it was yeah. Um, I was just thinking, because right now with some of our plugins, we've been rewriting anything jQuery related to just be pure JavaScript. Um, cause jQuery is kind of not cool anymore. And performance wise, it's better just not to have dependencies on anything these days if you can't. Um, and so things like that, uh, like my brother is mainly the guy that's actually rewriting. I'm not doing that part. Um, uh, but we were talking about this the other day where, you know, things are just rapidly changing so fast, you know, like two years ago, um, jQuery was, everyone was using jQuery. Nowadays, if I look at any of the people developing heavily for performance-related stuff, jQuery is not cool anymore. Like, it's gone. <laughs> um, now it's pure vanilla JavaScript. And so, you know, keeping up with all of these things, it's just, like, crazy. Some Reading the article made me miss just um, going back to the good old days of where making my first websites with just HTML and CSS and that was it. Like that's all there was. Um, we, we didn't have CSS when I, we made my, <laughs> I made yeah, my first so website. It, it got me thinking of, um, you know, the pr- perspective of all of us because we all grew up with a lot less than this is in this article um, and what it would be like to grow up um, with, you know, React, GraphQL, you know, all of these things already there, like just growing up with this. And I, it just got me thinking, like, what would that even be like? I, I can't yeah, even other, imagine it because other. it was so simple when I, when I grew up. So it's, it's yeah. just mind-blowing. Right. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it would be great to be starting off learning CSS because you have modern CSS layouts and, you're never get, and you never have to dick around with tables uh, and frames and awkward floats and having to use uh, uh, polyfills in order to get something to align vertically uh, and, and all of those things, you know, that's, uh, you can do so much in a very few lines of CSS that, that you couldn't do before. Uh, and, you know, that part is great, but to also 
you know, be faced with that list of, oh no, before you can, before you can build a website, you have to set up this whole modern dev environment and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, nope, can't do that. But then there's all the other people who they have done it. And then it's like, well, I want to use this, you know, I only want to use this tool uh, because it's popular and trendy, uh, not because it's the best thing for the job. Right, you know, I had a good discussion. We're getting, so I think we cut the other two stories because I don't want this podcast to be one piece, nor, nor do the panel want that because they've got to go and make their living. So um, my recommendation, I don't always recommend plugins, stuff that, um, I want to plug in um, a website and uh, a YouTube if you search for his name and it's Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. He um, he's, a, he's really a, a great intellect, American intellectual, um, but a little bit right-wing but also a communist and a practical uh, guy. And he's a non-bullshitter. He's been retired for a number of years now, and um, he just tells you how he sees it. And um, he he upsets people on the right and on the left um, in equal amounts. So... um, If you want to have some new ideas, some new ways of seeing things, um, do a search with Paul Craig Roberts in YouTube. He's got a ton. Or go to his website and the links will be in the show notes. I just thought he's influenced my thinking and I think he's just a great American. Uh, um, So, um, Brian, go on. Sorry, I got to bounce here quick. Sorry, I got to drop off. But um, it was fun. It was great seeing all you guys. Have you got a recommendation, Steve? Oh, no, not, not all this right. week. Off you go then, Steve. You get <laughs> a bad mark there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brian, have you got a recommendation? And you can plug your own plugins, Brian, by the way. No, I actually, I'm going to put it in, in the chat there. Um, my actual recommendation is uh, Feedly this week. And while that used to be just like an old RSS tool, um, the paid plan, while it's not actually very cheap, it if you look at all the times you can save with it, it, it makes sense in my opinion. Like I have all my email newsletters going to Feedly. I have people on Twitter, their feeds in my Feedly. And what then does it all do? What does blog, it do? Basically, it, it aggregates all of the social media people I want to follow so I don't have to go to Twitter. It puts all my new email newsletters into Feedly so I don't have to get them in my inbox. And then I can read all my blogs and that, you know, the articles that I want all in the exact same place. And it's uh, actually kind of changed my life as far as I don't, you know, go to these other websites anymore. I just have it all in one dashboard. My inbox is cleaner. No, I've unsubscribed from every newsletter um, that goes into my inbox um, and it's all in one place. So definitely check it out. The premium plan is definitely worth it. If you do a lot of like reading and following that sorts of stuff. Oh, well, uh I have a look at it myself. I don't read, but there we go. I'm a web person. Why would I read? Um, Sally, um, Sally, uh, sorry, I couldn't resist it, Sally. At least it brought a smile to your face. You, uh, um, uh, um, Sally, got anything you want well, to Well, that's recommend? all right. You know, you put videos in and I'm like, no, not watching that. Um, <laughs> can't be arsed. And it's a video more than 30 seconds long now. Um, and... Uh, 
But my recommendation is the Control J command in Sublime Text. Uh, I often uh, have clients who send me stuff that needs to go on the web, uh, and what they send me is a PDF, and it's full of line breaks. And uh, I can just copy the text out of the PDF, drop it in Sublime Text, hit Control J. It makes everything into you know, it connects everything in, into lines. Uh, and then I can, uh, you know, paste it into into WordPress and uh, deal with it. It's magic, isn't it? Uh, it is. I mean, it's, you know, the thing is that it, it, it's got lots of tools. And I suspect there must be something like this in, in all of the, you know, the text editors and the, and the IDEs because of, you know, the way code vat formatting works, you know, that there's like a remove blank lines command and, a, you know, all of those things. Um, you know, I, I had somebody send me a Microsoft Word document where they uh, didn't know there was an insert page break command. And so what they did was they just kept hitting return until the new page started. And, and you know, it's kind of like, shoot me now. But this is this well, is that's what I do. This is the level, technical level at which many of your clients will be operating. <clears throat> so uh, it's, it's a good thing. There's help for us. All right. Spencer, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Yeah, it's free, but I'm going to self-promote a plugin I wrote yesterday I told you guys about where I was sick of complaining on the show every week about how Gutenberg is unusable simply because you can't tell what all the junk on the right side is. So last night I whipped up a plugin. It's very lightweight. It's 54 lines of code. Just makes the right-hand column look just like the classic editor. So even if you're stuck with the block editor, which I'm not a fan of, you can at least see what all the various controls are on the right, and it's available in GitHub for free. And I submitted it to the repository, and I was telling you guys before the show, apparently they rejected the name of it. It was called Fix Gutenberg Editor. They wouldn't let me say Gutenberg, so it's Gutenberg. But the link is there. Give it a try. There's, there's really virtually nothing in it other than admin side CSS. But why they haven't done this themselves I have no idea now. But they want a clean design. I, I'm going to check it out just so that I can see exactly what please? it is that's been bothering you so much about it. I would be, I would be happy it. to share my screen if you had the time, but check it out because all it literally does is it makes the individual meta boxes look just like classic editor with a space and some border around them. So I can actually look and see this is this and this is that. So Goodness gracious. John, have you got something you want to recommend to this? Yeah, this is from a friend of the show. Bridget Willard, oh. she just launched a paperback. Oh. You can also oh, get yeah. it on Kindle, but uh, it's 10 bucks. It's uh, Keys to Being Social, Being Real in a Virtual World. She's been working on this for a long time. Wow. She's, She's a like, friend of the show, so we have to Yeah, plug a lot on. of people in WordPress, a friend of a lot of people in WordPress. She would like to sell 101 copies. My, my copy is on the way, so it's 10 bucks. So, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go and buy it. Oh, yeah. is that a soft cool. yeah, for Bridget? One of the more honest people in the WordPress ecosystem and right. very generous with her time as well. So I always have time for Bridget. So, um, right, Brian, do you want to plug your plugins? So, Brian, how, uh, uh, because you've got to get some benefit from joining us. So, you know, sometimes it's painful, Brian, but there we oh, go. Well, I guess uh, uh, we're um, having So Black how Friday can sales. people find out more about you and uh, your company and your plugins then, Brian? Uh, I, yeah, the, the best way is just to go to forgemedia.io, and that's just kind of our business landing page, and we have a list of our plugins and kind of a little bit about, about us. 
All right. So, That's great. And I, I, I'm on Twitter to Brian Lee Jackson. Um, yes. So any of your plugins you really want to push, Brian? Um, I, I think right now we're, we're doing some really They're cool stuff. They're too busy rewriting them. With, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, people don't realize you have to go back and rewrite code too, which takes forever. And then it seems like you're not pushing updates when you're yeah, crazy yeah. stuff. But, um, but yeah, our Perf Matters plugin, we're doing some really cool stuff with the script manager at the moment. So that's one thing um, I think people should check what, out. What does that then, plugin do, Brian? Um, I guess if you had to compare it to something, it's kind of like a, you know, the Gonzalez plugin with WP Rocket and other kind of performance tweaks mixed in. Oh. Um, to be honest, we just add things as we need to fix them on our own sites and then what people need to fix on their own sites. So it's just a mishmash of everything over the years that we've kind of put together. Right here. And uh, yeah, then we launched our social media plugin a couple months back. That's doing pretty well. So it's based on purely based on performance, but still with kind of like the marketing gimmicks, I guess you could say, if you want them. Um, but yeah. all sounds good to me. So Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I am WP Fangirl, most other places. Uh, and I spend probably more time in uh, WordPress-oriented Slack channels than on uh, any other platform. There we go. Spencer, how can people find out more about you? Uh, at launchflows.com or on the homepage of WPFusion.com, you can have a free call. Great. And John, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, you can go to my YouTube channel, uh, search John Locke SEO or Lockdown SEO on YouTube videos three times a week or go it's to a great my web. channel. You need to, uh, it's bright and subscribe and, uh, or go to my website, lockdownseo.com. Right. We'll see you next week, folks. Another great panel. The weeks just fly past through this pandemic. Um, we'll quickly see you next Friday, folks. Hopefully you can join us. See you soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 